The date is Thursday the 9th of November. I'm Jason England and welcome to Learn Something, the official podcast of NewRiseMedia.com where I consume your brain space with weird and wonderful facts that you've probably never heard before. On today's episode, we are going to take a dive into the world of video games. I've got all my mates coming around tomorrow for a bit of a gaming night, so it makes sense. I, I want to talk about games. Um, in terms of the structure of the show, we're going to be taking a look back to begin with, where we're going to be diving into the world of Tomb Raider and Battletoads. Um, we're going to be finding out what the average age of a person who plays a video game is, and also the impact on the brain, and also some pretty terrifying patents that companies have taken out to kind of monitor that you are playing your video games legally. And also, what is the connection between Mario and a developer's wife? All that will be found out in today's show. And of course, thank you all for your call-ins. I will be showing my favorite, well, not showing, I'll be presenting my favorites for you to listen to, whether you are listening from your car, listening from home, or listening while you're walking about. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Let's get cracking. This is going to be a good one. So we kick off today's episode with Battletoads on the NES. Now, do you remember this game? It's been quite commonly called the hardest game on the planet, um, especially a couple of the levels which seem borderline impossible. And I put this question to you. Have you ever noticed that games nowadays seem to be a lot simpler compared to games in the past? Well, as it turns out, there's a reason. 1991 was a time when video game rentals were perhaps just beginning to hit their stride. Video stores were still plentiful, and in order to diversify, many began offering rental NES cartridges alongside their usual VHS stock. I was there myself, I rented games, and on average, a video game rental would cost about five or six quid in the UK, or let's say around about the same value in the US, and you'd be allowed to keep a game for three to five days. If you were a skilled player, and the game wasn't all too hard, you could usually finish a game in those days, while games like Battletoads were very, very different. This, of course, was noticed by video game manufacturers that essentially people were renting them for a lot less money and being able to finish them. So they were losing money to this rental market like crazy and their skilled players were able to play through their games without any sort of financial commitment. As a direct response, there was a sudden spike in the difficulty of NES games in 1991. Levels became longer, bosses became more difficult and the aesthetics were more complex. Battletoad was, then, designed to be nearly unbeatable. The game had to be so difficult that players would not have the opportunity to beat it over the course of 5 days, or even 10 days, or 20, or 50. Battletoads was designed, in fact, to be a lifelong commitment. Something that could never be properly surmounted by anyone but the most determined players. So, Shout out to the people who actually managed to complete the game. I never did. But 
It just kind of goes to show what kind of lengths developers would go to to ensure that they got the money back on the investment they made on developing games. Next up is a question for you lot. What is, or will forever will be, one of the best multiplayer first-person shooter games in history? And most of you are immediately going to say GoldenEye 007 on the Nintendo 64. Now, the production value behind this game and the attention to detail, especially in the multiplayer, makes you think that there was quite a big team behind it. Well, I'm here to prove you wrong, as did you know that there were only nine developers on the team and eight of them had never worked on video games before? Given the depth and complexity, it's really rather surprising that that's the case. Um, development on the game began, began in late 1994 and it was based on a pitch by a mid-level mid -level programmer, if I say that properly, named Martin Hollis, who had just finished up working on Killer Instinct, which was his first game with the company Rare. Rare and Nintendo liked his pitch enough to greenlight the game, but they weren't overly enthusiastic. So they gave Hollis a skeleton crew of rookies to develop the game. In a strange way though, that naivety actually helped the game, according to one team member, Graham Norgate. Quote unquote, because it was people's, most people's first game, we did things we might not do again because it was too much work. We didn't take the easy route. If something sounded like a good idea, it was like, yeah, let's do it. The world is our oyster. Only afterwards would we find that it was a world of pain. Another shout out quick fact. GoldenEye was originally supposed to be a platformer and on-rail shooter for the Super Nintendo. But when the N64 came around, their ambitions became bigger. And finally for the history segment, we go to Lara Croft, the Tomb Raider, and her first video game, which was launched way, way back in 1996. Now... I'm going to be speaking about her breasts, her boobs, her milk duds, her jugs, her bazookas, her insert another name for boobs here. Um, so while a developer was working on the game, he increased Lara Croft's breast size by 50% as per the brief. But instead of typing 50, he accidentally typed 150 making these two, well, back in the day of polygonal graphics, trapezoids or pyramids on her chest, huge. Others approved of the change before he could possibly fix the mistake and the marketing campaign emphasized Lava's exaggerated body and it became a number one hit for it. So the lady looked impressive all over. Far more realistic than other games even attempted. Complete realism wasn't possible, of course. But Lara had to have exaggerated dimensions from the start to kind of push this. But the slip of this mouth, slip of this mouse, was actually the difference between the game being noticed and not. I think this might be more of a commentary on the kind of gamers that there were back in the mid-90s. 
stay rad. But yeah, it's weird to think, isn't it? Next up, we're going to some interesting studies. And we kick off with the demographics of games. Now, while everybody has been saying that video games have been maturing over time, um, one of the interesting parts to see is just how old, on average, is the usual gamer now? Like, what is the average age of a person who plays video games? And it turns out it's not. 15 or 16 it's not 12 like the majority of kids voices you hear shouting whatever curse words or racial slurs that they know through the microphone on a multiplayer game it turns out the average age is about 30 and while that sounds initially surprising you then take a step back and you think it makes sense like i am very rapidly approaching 30 god help me but anyway, um, 30-year-olds today grew up with video games and have the most disposable income to spend money on them. So it, it makes sense. Like, you get the most vocal minority in multiplayer games. Like, whenever I play multiplayer, I go nowhere near a microphone. Um, and the majority of the time, I play single player. One of our most favorite, one of our most favorite Favourites and absolutes, so I don't need to say most. One of my favourite titles in terms of single-player campaign has definitely been the brand new one from the makers of Killzone. And I've completely forgot the name about it. Let me do a quick Google search. Um, and find out for you. It is called Horizon Zero Dawn. That's it. And I feel absolutely terrible that i completely forgot that midway through speaking to you i do apologize um but the single player in that was breathtaking the imagination behind it the creativity of the universe and the gripping nature of the storyline and the gameplay it's well worth taking a look at next the impact of video games on kids now if you were to read the news over the past decade you'd probably find that video games have a negative impact on kids, making them more violent, making them more obese by keeping them indoors. Well, when you look further into the studies, you see that these are all quite skewed and biased to force a particular conclusion to satisfy one politician's need to have a talking point during their debates. Well, this one done by Oxford University surveyed 5,000 British children on video games and social habits and it came to a conclusion that those playing video games on a regular basis are more satisfied with their lives, are less prone to being hyperactive and have less emotional issues let me try and say that again, emotional issues than those who don't play video games at all but it comes with the caveat that you don't play too much so how much play time do they recommend about an hour a day or less unless you want the, ch the child to actually be harmed by playing now this is an interesting kind of conclusion and it makes sense 
given the context of it in terms of if you see somebody spending hours upon hours playing a video game then they start to lose that kind of sense control sense of self-control but if it's actually played in moderation then yeah like it can actually help especially around motor functions and something and other elements of child development as such and finally in this segment is first person shooters and their impact on the brain today i learned that playing first person shooter video games causes some users to lose gray matter in a part of their brain associated with past memory and experiences participants in this study were healthy 18 to 30 year olds but scans after 90 hours of playing showed loss in the hippocampus gregory west an associate professor at the psych associate gregory west an associate professor of psychology at the university de montreal i got there in the end says the neuro neuroimaging study which was published in the journal molecular psychiatry is the first to find conclusive evidence of gray matter loss in a key part of the brain as a direct result of computer interaction this four-year study looked at the impact of action video games on the hippocampus the part of the brain that plays a critical role in spatial memory and the ability to recollect past events and experiences the brain scans of these healthy 18 to 30 year olds conducted before and after the experiment looked at differences on the hippocampus and saw that there was a reduction in the size of these hippocampi or hippocampuses I'm not sure whichever way is the plural and the study says that 85 percent of gamers showed this reduction and what games did they play it was games such as call of duty killzone medal of honor and borderlands 2 that showed the statistically significant gray matter loss all people who we call response learners experience a reduction, reduction of gray matter within the hippocampus, the study chief said. And in the news release that was released alongside it, the researchers expanded on their finding with a quote. The problem is the more they use the caudate nucleus, which is used to track and actually react quickly to games, the less they use the hippocampus. And as a result, the hippocampus loses cells and atrophies adding that this could have major implications later in life now what are your favorite video games i asked that over the week and i got some interesting call-ins about it and this is the bit where i show you guys what people have been saying and what their favorite video games are um if you haven't played them before i do recommend and yeah let's have a listen mine is boundary boxes in ios game oh mine are like my favorite games are like old school so let's see i like mario brothers super mario brothers mario kart um street fighter weapon lord mega man um what was the other one Dang, I wish my sister was here so she could help me out with this one. Final Fight, uh, Mortal Kombat, and Sonic the Hedgehog. Yep, those are my faves. And I don't have any of those consoles except for the first. No, 
I have a Super Nintendo that I need to start playing soon because it's been a while. But yeah, I like this question. Thank you. Thank you so much to INFJ Ashray and Hussein Al Mumin for their two great submissions to this call-in segment. I especially agree with Ashray in terms of the classic games being the far better ones. I've also tried Bounty Bots on iOS and I do recommend you guys give it a, give it a shot. It's actually quite addictive gameplay on there. And I'm assuming, Ashray, that INFJ is your personality type? I've forgotten what the test is called, but I am an INTP. So we've got some kind of introvert similarities there. Anyway, I'll be doing a call in next week as well. So I look forward to hearing from you guys again. It'll be something different, of course. You don't need to go out and find more games. And in this final segment of Strange, Strange Video Game Trivia, I talked to you about a game online called Lose Lose. Now, you need to make sure you have Flash enabled in your browser and you need to go to the following URL if you want to play it. So it's stfjfforfox.net slash art slash 2009 slash lose lose. Now, what is it? Well, it turns out it's a video game that deletes a random file on your computer every time you kill an enemy. Yes, I'm deadly serious. In the blurb about the game, it's a video game with real-life consequences. Each alien in the game is created based on a random file on the player's computer. If the player kills the alien, the file it is based on is deleted. If the player's ship is destroyed, the application itself is deleted. Although touching aliens will cause the player to lose the game and killing aliens rewards points, the aliens will never actually fire at the player. This calls into question the player's mission, which is never explicitly stated, only hinted at through the classic game mechanics. Is the player supposed to be an aggressor or merely an observer, traversing through a dangerous land? Why do we assume that because we are given in the weapon and awarded for using it, that doing so is right? That's right, you're going to feel either kind of guilty or you're just going to end up deleting the file that you really needed on your computer. Next up is a rather terrifying patent filed by Microsoft in 2011 which was for media-based DRM, otherwise known as Digital Rights Management. So this is to kind of keep control of who has actually bought a game or film and watches the game or film to make sure that companies are making the money back on what they create, which is fair enough. But this is slightly an Orwellian development in that as it will use the cameras connected to the Xbox, otherwise known as the Kinect, the late and great Kinect, to actually watch who watches a film at the present time. The patent is titled Content Distribution Regulation by Viewing User. The technology briefly described is a content presentation system and method allowing content providers to regulate the presentation of content on a pay-per-view basis. 
Content is distributed to consuming devices such as televisions, set-top boxes and digital displays with an associated license option on the number of individual consumers or viewers allowed to consume the content. If the camera spots that there is more people than that, then remedial action may be taken, meaning that you will probably be charged on the spot to actually bring these more viewers in to watch it. If you don't take that action, such as buying another license for the extra person, the film or piece of content you're watching stops playing. It sounds like there's a grace period in the actual description of the patent to ignore people walking in and out of the room and not actually sitting down to watch the film. But there was also a paragraph about a gaming console in there. So while it didn't specifically explain that it was a Kinect, it's slightly hinting at it. Now, this is pretty damn terrifying, and I'm rather glad that it hasn't actually happened. Watching a film or playing a game shouldn't be monitored as such. It should be a gaming experience or a film watching experience that is free and able to enjoy. And this kind of overbearing kind of surveillance on who specifically watches it based on a license that you buy is something that humans shouldn't have to deal with. And finally, Super Mario, the very game that INFJ Ashray went and said was one of their favorites. And it's probably one of the favorites of everybody across planet Earth. Very limiting the audience there. But more specifically, I'm talking about the ghost characters that you come up against every so often in the game called Booze. They are based on a co-designer's wife. So the co-designer named Takashi Tezuka um, actually designed this character based on his love interest, who is usually quiet but exploded one day, maddened by all the time he spent at work. Similarly, Abu shrinks when Mario looks at it, but when Mario turns away, it grows large and menacing. A bit of an artistic metaphor for all the time that he spent away from work and how increasingly mad Takashi's wife got about it. I'm sure she was very, very happy about that. And this was an article put up in The Guardian. And regrettably, the Guardian article cited as a source doesn't actually say what she thought when she found out. But I can't... Every part of me thinks she was probably not too happy about it. And that's it. Thank you all so, so much for listening to this. Whether, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, you're either listening to this in your car or whether you're listening to this at home or whether you're walking around and listening to it, every single person who listens to this means the world to me. So thank you all so much for taking whatever time out of your day to put up with my voice every week. Um... So other ways you can support the podcast, um, obviously it's based around a particular blog that I own called newrisingmedia.com. 
go check it out. I will be posting some stories up there over the next few days. Um, more specifically, I've got a Christmas gift guide in the works. So hopefully that will help the nerds out there in terms of picking presents. Um, it's also worthwhile subscribing to this podcast, both on Anchor and also on iTunes. Be sure to give it a five-star rating as well so that I can help get pushed up in the search results for that as well. Um, and if you are on Anchor, make sure you call in. Like, I want to hear your thoughts and I want to hear your feedback as to how the podcast is, what you think of using Anchor yourself. But also, there will be particular calling segments, one of which I will go into in a couple of seconds. And this is the bit where I give you a sneaky peek into what next week's episode will be about. Now, this is inspired by a particular TV show that has captured my imagination and truly, truly captivated me over the past two weeks. I am, of course, talking about Blue Planet 2. Now, I don't know whether this is actually out over in America yet. And if it's not, I feel really sorry for you guys because the camera work, the amount of amazing discoveries made by this ocean-based documentary is mind-blowing. And whenever you do get it, I recommend you watch it. But for everybody in Britain, I assume that you've all been watching it and you've all been as blown away by me. Blown away as me. (laughs) Jesus Christ. That sounded worse than it actually did. As blown away by Blue Planet 2 as I have been. Now, based on that, the next podcast will be about the ocean. Weird and wonderful facts about the ocean and the creatures that live in it. Now, I want to know what is your favourite sea-based animal? For me, it's a shark. I've got one on the back of my leg and they're always the best characters in films. Jaws, Deep Blue Sea. There's plenty more different kind of shark based films and I just love them. Like they are the most ferocious creatures in the ocean and that's why I like them because I'm in no way ferocious and that kind of makes up for it. So I want to know yours. Call in. And do tell me and let me know why. And I will be echoing every single one I get on next week's episode to the thousands of listeners that I get. Anyway, I'll leave you guys to it. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And yeah, take care.